Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of the Holding Court podcast. Today, we chat about the young phenom Francisco Chico Herrera. We'll welcome former MLB player and current first base coach for the Dodgers, George Lombard. We'll dive into his family story and how quarantine is allowing to learn more about his mother, who was a civil rights activist. We'll chat about his playing career, how he made a decision between going into football or baseball, the unique way he signed his first contract, how he connects with players to be a better coach, and some insight on this Dodger team and what we can expect from the upcoming season and newcomer Mookie Betts. All coming up right now. Hello. Hello. That was a new little hello I, I know. Gave what you. was that? I hope you liked that it. That was different. It's kind of <laughs> sexy. I liked it. Oh, wow. I'm trying to <laughs> switch it up. You know, you got to, we're in, we're in it. Episode 16. Still we're in going. the ethier episode. Andre, baby. We should have had Andre on for episode 16. Oh, that would have been great. Maybe we, maybe that's a new thing. Maybe the episode number matches with the jersey number of so to, so next week is AJ Ellis. Seventeen. Or who's seventeen now? Uh, Joe Kelly. Oh, maybe we hit Joe him, with, hit him we, with Joe Kelly and AJ Ellis. Maybe we ask him about <laughs> Twin Gate and the famous changeup that shattered the window in his backyard. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, that would be funny. To oh just man, have our it's a good idea. Corresponding. We're just making it up as we go, people. Yeah, we're just <laughs> filling it out and just seeing what happens. Uh, we have to talk about Chico. Chico, he's the man. Yeah, we're, we're going to try to have him on here next episode. Maybe we'll do a little midweek little snack with Just Chico. Like a, like a little teaser, like a little 20-minute Chico session. Yeah, so for those of you that don't know, Chico is a star right now. If Justin, you want to give a little background on this, because I, I feel like it's a big thing on Twitter, but I have seen uh, the games are obviously playing uh, – on Facebook and I see a lot of comments kind of scroll by who's Chico is this a minor league player is this a prospect that's filling in kind of thing so a lot of people aren't familiar with who has been occupying left field the last couple games well I'll start by saying you know our clubhouse staff is like the best staff in baseball they're unbelievable they I mean we are taken care of in every aspect and uh, Chico is a part of that staff and, you know, you talk about these three months of quarantine and there was a, a small group of us working out at Dodger stadium, um, trying to stay ready for the season. That's almost here, by the way, a week away. Yes. Um, and you know, our, our clubhouse guys, Chico's one of them is there every day. Uh, when we're hitting on the field, he's out in the outfield shagging when guys are throwing bullpen, we didn't have catchers here. Uh, so Chico was catching bullpens for, Alex Wood and whatever pitchers were here and uh you know he throws batting practice and I mean all on top of doing all of his stuff that he has to do in the clubhouse so he is a Chico of all trades he is a Chico of all trades he's an unbelievable dude and you know we were a player short going into these scrimmages uh for summer camp enter Um, Chico and we need a left fielder and and Chico has been power shagging wow yeah, power shagging. I mean, get, he gets after it out there. He's that's running a down. Phrase. He, uh, that's a real phrase in baseball. Power Is it shag. actually? Yeah, when you go out there and you run down every single that. ball for the whole. 
power shag and jerked one out. We really <laughs> give everyone all of the lingo. Look up power shag. That's a real thing. But Jerking one out. I don't know. You tried to prove it. Put I, your safe search on if you search power shag, though. Might be some like questionable <laughs> Austin Powers. Content. Point of the story is. <laughs> Chico is unbelievable and he's been playing left field in our scrimmages and he is just making web gem after web gem. <laughs> he's a human highlight reel out there. And, you know, we actually tried to convince Alex Torres, our head clubhouse guy to make him an actual Jersey and just put like a, a random last name on the back just to mess with the media and be like, Oh, who's it? This guy's not on the player pool. Who, who's out there? <laughs> Uh, but they, they didn't go for it. And if they would have, he would have been, they would have been like, man, this prospect outfielder is unbelievable. Where did this guy come from? from? Scouts and all that. And, uh, yeah, we're trying to get him a bat. We had the hashtag going, let Chico hit. You even made a shirt that I wore to the field. I did. Uh, he, he pinch ran for Muncie last he's night. He's getting so closer to home. He's getting play. closer and closer to an at bat. And I hope it happens. And he's such a great guy. He's so humble and shy and just is loving every minute of it. We're, we're so excited for him. And something really cool has happened uh, from all this. He's yeah. gotten so much love on Twitter that... I became kind of his unofficial manager, I guess. I got an email from a company called Breaking Tea, and they will come out with apparel if something kind of trends, like it's very topical, something happens in the moment, and they're very quick, and they crank out the shirts, and everyone orders, and they reached out to me and said they saw that I had made the shirt for Justin on my cricket, which I thought was beautiful. Um, but they wanted to take it to the next level and they're licensed company so they can use kind of the Dodger artwork and logos and all that. So Justin shared that with Chico and they wanted to make sure that he was taken care of. And then Chico actually wanted to make sure the foundation, the Justin Turner foundation benefits as well from the sales. So that was awesome of him. And that just obviously speaks to the kind of guy that he is that he wanted to make sure it was for a good cause as well. So those are available. We've posted the link if you want to check out our face or I don't know if it's on face. It's somewhere. It's on Instagram. It's on, Twitter. It's on Twitter. It's on Instagram. It's yeah. on our link tree. Yeah. So it's <laughs> <laughs> the legend of Chico. Yes. It's really cool. They have the little Dodger baseball logo going through there and number ninety number 97's on there because chico's number 97 yeah i think so breaking tea overnighted a bunch of those to the guys so you'll probably see those trickling out maybe in bp in the next couple of days oh yeah i can't wait are you gonna it, cut the sleeves off of course <laughs> <laughs> i don't have very many shirts in my locker that have sleeves on them i don't know i know you're like the bill belichick of t-shirts you just rip the sleeve he leaves a little though a for little the bit. imagination yeah. but you just <laughs> put it all just uh you know you gotta you gotta have a little freedom especially when you're playing i don't like the sleeves oh you think it's restrictive to have yeah, sleeves well, definitely okay definitely so i like know. that good little sun on the shoulders yeah little california sunshine believe it anyways moral <laughs> of the story go go buy your legend of chico shirt uh you know the proceeds are going to him and and he was kind enough to share a little bit with the justin turner foundation so Go check them out, order it. You can wear it uh, at home uh, while you watch these scrimmages and he's out there making web gems in left field. I can't believe he's not on MLB Network yet. I've seen I him on, on Fox MLB and, and some other... Plays against Chris Taylor. Don't run on Chico. Mookie yeah. Betts turned double, into a double play. He doubled off Mookie, yeah. Mookie hit a ball to the wall. He jumped up against the wall, going backwards, jumps up against the wall, catches the ball, and Luxie was on first 
and Whoops. D- he didn't think Chico had he he didn't obviously have the scouting report on how great of a left fielder Chico is. So he took off and rounded second and was thinking he was going to score. And Chico makes this great catch and then turns around, fires it in, and they it doubled Luxy off first base. So Lux didn't get those powder blue cleats back to first. No, the powder blue cleats, (laughs) they weren't fast enough. (laughs) You might want to rethink those after that move, but yeah, it's been fun to watch. And what I love is I'm going to see these shirts in the stands probably like a season or two down the road. And it's just going to bring me back to this because we, without this, obviously the situation is so crazy and so different, but this wouldn't have been born out of any other situation. It just happened to be you guys are playing each other in all these games and getting creative. And so, yeah, it's a positive story that's coming out of all of this that we can all feel good about. Yeah, we're going to try to get him on the show, like you said. So I don't want to dive too deep into this because I want Chico to be able to tell the story. But it is a unique situation where, you know, we talked about this morning. It's just great that these games are being broadcasted. Yeah. Uh, on Sportsnet LA normally because of these see. unique times. So normally if we play inner squad, like we're in Arizona and no one's watching and no one really cares. And, you know, we don't get all these highlights and, and Chico doesn't get all this hype. So other than us being like, you know, saying whatever, oh man, Chico's playing awesome left field. And you guys are like, oh, cool. Like the guy's standing on. But then now you get to see. Yeah. It, it's awesome. In a game with commentary, I mean, you have oral and nomar and everyone commenting on it in real time so it's very cool to see well we'll like we said try to get chico on here to give a little more insight into this whole situation now i want to talk about another fun project that justin and i did we actually taped this i think about a month ago Mm -hmm. and much anticipated it's finally out and we're able to share it with you guys we actually co-hosted the sandlot cast reunion uh, with Patrick Renna, who played Hamilton Porter. And I feel like it still hasn't really sunk in because obviously, obviously this movie was so big growing up. Everyone, Iconic. Yeah, it's so nostalgic. And I really don't even think it has sunk in that we taped the reunion with the cast and you ran lines, you did a scene with them and it is so cool. And we actually just shared it on social so everyone can check it out. They gave us a s'mores lesson. They did. They taught us how to make proper Sandlot ham porter s'mores. There's a way. It's a beautiful method. It's unbelievable. But it was so much fun. And I think the cool part was, you know, everyone loves Sandlot. Yes. And it is such an iconic baseball movie because that's, you know, as a kid, that's what you do. You grow up, you find a little field, and you, you go play ball with your buddies. And... um thinking about it and going through the movie and doing the Q and a with the guys, it's just amazing how like scene after scene, after scene, after scene in the movie is just like iconic. Like every scene just feels like this unbelievable thing. And, and they, we even talk about it a little bit in the Q and a, and I think it, it's Marley actually that talks about it that, you know, at the time they had no idea, you know, how impactful and how I guess legendary this movie was going to be, or they would have, you know, kind of held on, <laughs> held on to some of their stuff a little longer, but it was, it was so cool. We're so grateful for the opportunity to host. And, and those guys are awesome, huge baseball fans. A lot of them, huge Dodger fans. Um, and you guys probably saw them all out there a couple of years ago for the first pitch, um, you know, throwing out for the, what was it? 25 year reunion. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, they were throwing out the first pitch and all their Dodger gear. So, uh, what an honor. It, w- it was so cool. Yeah, that was the first thing. My brother actually already watched it, and he said, yeah, who would have known that it would have been 
this big and you know you think back and what things would they have kept from the set you know it was little mementos if they would have known that it would be you know this huge hit that everyone is constantly quoting and you see the shirts everywhere and and yeah it's just huge but also definitely want to mention how cool it was to benefit the foundation as well yeah absolutely so patrick uh renna the host wanted to make sure that this um was able to kind of link to our foundation so throughout the reunion you'll see donate buttons um and yeah just another thing that's so cool where you know it could have just been a fun thing and we're on there chatting but he wanted to make sure that there was some good that came out of it as well yeah pat's been great to us he actually supported us a couple years ago played in the golf tournament um out at Sherwood and then he reached out to us for this uh you know and it's just great that they they thought of us and he thought of us first to be like hey man we're doing this reunion show we want you guys to host it we want it to benefit the foundation and just speaks volumes to you know the type of guy he is and and uh you know he he's so recognizable like Yes. Everywhere. Like he, you two going out. I think I talked about this. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if it made the, the final cut, but I talked about how insane that would be if like you two went to dinner. Cause I've already talked about how I can't bring you anywhere. Cause I can't hide the orange Yeah, and the red it's everywhere. The beard, even when you shave, it just doesn't happen. So I cannot even imagine if you two just, well, maybe we should make that happen. Strolled down the street or went and went to dinner or anything. I think everyone would be tilting their head like a dog like huh we should take Wait, the whole ca- we on? should take the whole cast out to dinner that'd be awesome let's do it let's that'd be some great together. stories right let's get the band back together yeah that'd be fun yeah so that was a whole lot of fun and i was happy that i was included i did feel a little like are you sure you guys want me to do this who am i but i was glad to be a part of it as well yeah you had the great shirt. you had the l70 weenie shirt on and representing and it was uh i got some of my little you, one-liners in there little you got singers. grilled you got grilled about the shirt Ham Porter grilled you. Why He didn't want to know why you weren't wearing a ham shirt. I know. Well, we explain all of that in the reunion. So head to our social media and you can watch it. It's all up on YouTube. And like I mentioned, it's all for a good cause. And so now I want to bring on our guest today. Uh, he is the current first base coach for the Dodgers and wanted to bring him on here to share his story and so much insight there's so much there so i'm excited to bring him on yeah let's let's not steal any of his thunder let's just go right to him let's get him on the phone and happy to have him let's do it hi george how are you i'm doing excellent what's up JT, court uh thanks for having me super cool of course we're happy to have you um we've talked a lot about quarantine over the past few months especially on here people taking this time you know to spend more quality time with their family, maybe discover some hobbies or passions they have. Um, You've actually had the chance to dive a little deeper into your family history, uh, specifically with your mother, if you wouldn't mind telling us uh, what that's been like for you. Yeah, well, it started as uh, trying trying to find ways to be better. And I wanted to become a better speaker. And um, so that's how it all, all started. And learning to tell my story and I had to reach out to certain people to, to tell the story. And, um, it's, you know, it's, it's made me discover some things that, that I probably, uh, kind of closed off in my life and, and gave me an opportunity to dig on them a little bit. That's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen some of that come out through the media, uh, over the past couple of weeks and, uh, 
you know, obviously, you know, I'm a little embarrassed because, you know, I've been with you for how many years now? Uh, five years, I think it is now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff came out about your mom and, and her role in the civil rights movement. And this was all stuff that, you know, I didn't really know about. And I, I feel like I didn't, you know, take that extra step to ask you or dig in with you. So, um, it's a great story though. I'm glad, you know, you've enlightened me a little bit on it and, and we'd love for you to share some more about your mom and, and her role and her impact, uh, for our listeners to hear. Well, I, I would love to. And uh, I think that we all have these like unique, powerful stories. I mean, court, you have one JT, you have an unbelievable story, but, um, for me to, uh, to understand my story, it's important to kind of understand my mom's story and the foundation that she laid for me. So I kind of like to start by asking the viewers to think about the most uh, impactful person that they've had in their life. You know, think of this person that really cares about you, this person that will listen to you, but also hear you. This person that helps you be the best version of yourself. Um, you know, when you close your eyes and think of this person that would get you to run through a wall for them. Well, for me, that person uh, is my mom. And so, like I said, diving into my, my story and kind of understanding what she did for me and for my brother and my sister really kind of defined me and who I am. But um, looking back, I like to think of myself as having a completely normal life. And as of it, I've dug into it, there, it was anything but normal. It was, uh, you know, growing up in a biracial family, uh, white mother, black father. Um, you know, I had an older brother, a younger sister. And my mom was from this privileged family. Uh, Lombard was the last name uh, from the Northeast. And my grandfather was the dean of Harvard for 40 years. Um, so a wealthy family. And then you have my dad, dark skinned black man from South Georgia, small town from, you know, you know, very, very little education. My, my, I would say my dad, uh, could barely read and write. Um, but I had two parents that, that loved me. And, um, you know, looking back and now that I've learned more, my mother thought she could raise, um, biracial kids by herself and, and do it. And, in a, in a tough society. And, uh, she was well on her way to doing that. So I tell these stories about my, my mom and, and think about it was this perfect world when we were young, uh, the three of us and we'd have these family dinners. Um, and my mom would do these interesting things. We'd have to write something positive in our diary after, after dinner. Um, you know, I have a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old now and trying to give them a homework assignment is very difficult. And then I think of uh, exchanging diaries right after that and having to write something positive about your sibling. So that makes the assignment even more difficult with my kids because they're the last thing that they want to do is, you know, say something good about their brother or their sister and stuff. So to finish the assignment, we would have to read it in front of all of us after dinner and and what I learned, you know, um, you, it's human nature to think of six to 12 negative thoughts before the first positive thing enters your mind. Um, 
So what I take away from this entire thing is even on our worst day that we can draw something good from it. And I mean, this definitely, you know, relates, relates to baseball, relates to life. And, you know, you're, you're over three and in a baseball game, you, you know, I've seen you a number of times have this game winning catch to win a ball game. So there's so many things that we can draw from it. And even, uh, with this pandemic going on, you know, it could arguably one of the worst times and most difficult times of our life, but there's so many things that we can draw from it. You know, I talk with my, uh, my dad almost every day, um, the family dinners that we've had and working out together and just so many things that my kids are going to remember for the, for the rest of their life. You know, a second story I think of my mom when I'm, when I'm describing her is, um, we had, my brother had his bike stolen at a young, you know, young age. We didn't grow up in this great, this great neighborhood. I, I describe the neighborhood as this, this area, like if you left something valuable out, there's a good chance of it being stolen. And here it is, uh, this group of kids, and I describe them. I mean, Justin, you're from California, but I, I, I spent some time down in South Georgia where my dad's from where you get these wild dogs and like a pack of dogs where you get one aggressive dog kind of coming at you. And before you know it, you got four, five, six dogs kind of barking at you because they're kind of following each other. Well, that's how I describe this, these kids, these young teenagers. And we knew who sold this bike. There's no way that my brother and I were going to go up to them and, um, yeah, right. and kind of challenge them. And, you know, we were young. We're both probably 10. I'm probably nine or so. And uh, here's my mom, this white woman, walks right up to him, snatches the bike and kind of cusses him out. And, and, um, you know, try to teach them a lesson. Like it's, there's a right way and a wrong way to go about things. And, uh, when you want something, you got to earn it. And it taught us to be fearless. It taught us to be courageous and, and just, uh, she didn't back down from anybody. She was, she was, she was very tough. And the third story I, I dig in, dig on is, uh, it was a story from before I was born, but being involved in the civil rights movement. Um, so here it is. Like I said, my mom was one of seven kids and our education was, was extremely important. She went to Smith college and as that Smith where she, uh, had this greater calling to head South and to get down and to March alongside Martin Luther King. And she was probably in jail seven to 10 different times. Um, so it was, unbelievable the courage she had to do the things that she did and and um and fight for the beliefs of equal rights and stuff so it was amazing you know the, the things that she would do and and then comes the, the pain like I, I think of that that event that we have in our life that uh that changes your life forever and i can remember being up in cape cod um you know, something we did every summer. I have some of my best memories from Cape Cod, going up and spending time there. And I can remember being called into the kitchen by my grandmother because there's been a terrible accident. You know, your mom has been in a car accident. It doesn't look like she's going to survive. So you talk about turning your life upside down. I mean, like I just kept looking over at the door, waiting for her to walk in and and give me this big hug and a kiss and ask me how my day was going and it never happened. And now I, I kind of look back on it and think of like maybe the most difficult part of this whole thing was 
never get a chance to say goodbye to my mom. And, you know, I have my kids and you, you think of uh, those situations, which are just unfair. So it, it, it changed our life forever. And we got to find a way to overcome this. And my brother was always a hero to me. And uh, he just took it kind of next level. My brother's, you know, helping. He's 11 years old. I'm 10 years old. My sister's seven. And he's helping pay the bills and and uh, do homework with me. And I help raise my sister. And then there you have my dad who moves in. I can remember, my brother and I can remember the time when he moved in. It was the first time that he really stayed with us. And um, there were some things our dad did that, we probably wouldn't raise our kids like, but I tell you, my dad did the best job that he knew how, you know, I still think that we, we raised our father every bit as much as he raised us, but he loved us and, and, uh, and did the best job that he knew how. And I think that's when I turned to sports and, and that was my outlet. It took the pain away for, I was always, just, all three of us were always just very athletic kids and played things, but it took the pain away for a couple hours out of the day. So I did any sport that I was, I could do whether it's basketball, baseball, football. I ran track and, and, uh, then I found these people that really started to make a difference in my life. And, um, you know, I had a, a ton of dads, I had a ton of moms and, and a ton of friends that helped raise me and, and, and my siblings. But I can remember being in, in Sutton Middle School and having Carolyn Beavers. Miss Beavers was my homeroom teacher and my social studies teacher. But she would just listen to me and, and hear me when, when things were difficult. And I, I remember at Sumner, my science teacher. And I mean, to this day, I still talk to some of these teachers and, and the things that they would go out of their way to help me and make a difference in my life. And, and coach Duncan, my PE teacher saw this one, you know, athletic kid in me and, and got me over to this school called the Lovett school. So it was a private school. One of the best moves I was able to make and probably one of the best schools in the state of Georgia. And, really good education, really good academics. And, and that's where my sports continue to kind of take off. And I get there and I had a number of other students and, and teachers that helped me along the way. And, uh, Miss Jordan, Carolyn Jordan was my guidance counselor. I mean, I remember times really getting tough. We we're down to one car and, and, uh, there's times when my dad couldn't get us to school. And, and Miss Jordan was like, I got an idea. Why don't you and your sister just come and live with me? And uh, so I remember about two months out of that school year, I stayed with her and she was a second mom to me. And and then Coach Rayleigh, Coach Rayleigh was my football coach. He was a football coach. He was a teacher to me. He was a a friend to me, but he taught me how to be tough and be strong and play football and he just listen to me and, and other coaches when I didn't have a ride to practice. And I lived on the other side of town. The school was in Buckhead, really good area. But I remember my, my coach saying, uh, calling him, I was in tears. Like, I, I can't get to summer practice. And I got an idea. He said, you give me the dress and I'll come pick you up. You know, so those things go a long way. And this was back before you had the GPS and your phone and you just plug it in. You know, I'm telling you, take a right here, take a left at the gas station. And, uh, and then my house is about a mile down <laughs> at the end of the street. So you have all these people that make a difference in your life and, my sports continue to excel and I ended up being top one, two, three running backs in the country uh, going into my senior year. It was me, Fred Beasley and Fred Taylor. And uh, we were doing a lot of our college visits together. And I thought it was best if I stayed in state where my dad could see me play and I could play baseball. But 
Um, I chose to go to University of Georgia, and it was one of the happier days of my life when I signed this little national letter of intent. It was on uh, Scholastic Sports. It was, you know, way before a lot of these guys were doing these press conferences, but ESPN was there, and it was a really big deal. And I can remember hugging my sister and knowing that I was going to get a chance to go to college. Um, so, as you know, like you do your national letter of intent in football, it's like January, February, so early in the school year. And you fast forward to your senior year, my, my, uh, I guess my stock was kind of rising in baseball and Atlanta Braves thought they could select this, uh, tremendous athlete and turn him into a baseball player. And, uh, the Braves take me in the second round in the, the 94 amateur draft. So now I got another decision to make. And, um, I choose to come out and play professionally and have my college paid for by the Braves. So. I had no idea what I was getting into. I'd never been to a minor league baseball game. Uh, my dad's a single parent. I uh, signed for $425,000 in 94, which was a lot of money to me. And, mm-hmm. well, it was a lot of money at that time. And um, But I didn't know what I was getting, getting into. I was heading to, to West Palm Beach, Florida, um, to uh, our spring training complex, and, and I hit a buck 40 my first year. And I had so many coaches there standing by me, people making fun of me. Here's this big athlete. had a chance to be playing in front of 100,000 uh, football fans in college and chose to do baseball, and, he, and he's struggling. Um, but you talk about some, some coaches that made a difference. I think of Leon Roberts. I don't know if, JT, I don't know if you were ever around him, but they I call had, him Redbone. I had Redbone when I was with the Reds. Yeah, I know Leon. So I, I just think of these coaches that made a difference in my career, and I mean, I can remember being in Macon, Georgia. It's a, a hundred and two. It's ten o'clock in the morning, and he's flipping to me in the cages. And uh, and I can remember, you know, flipping to me in the cages for a seven o'clock game. And I can remember ready to quit and go back to college and play football. And and Leon was like, I can I can envision you hitting anywhere from first to fifth in a major league lineup playing every day, George. You got to give me one more year, and just pushing me and pushing me. And I think of Chino Carrillo, this big Cuban coach big mm-hmm. personality he was uh it was spent a lot of time with the Braves in Kansas City but he was he would pick me up on my 0 for threes and 0 for 4s and and remind me that I belonged and and he would be right there to keep me humble when I had the, the good game and you know banged out a few hits uh but these are the coaches that made a difference and made it so special and, and so many memories um I can remember at 22 getting to the big league it was, I think, going into my fifth year. Uh, I get called up in September. I remember September 1st when the rosters expand, and it was the first year I hit over 300 and hit 20-something home runs. Um, it was, you know, it, it felt like it took 10 years to get there, but, um, you know, it was, you know, I was very young at the time. But super cool. I got called up September 1st. It was my father's birthday. Oh, wow. And then I get my first start in, uh, in Major League hit on uh, September 15th, I think, which was my mom's birthday. Oh, wow. So it was, it, was, it was crazy how it all kind of played out. And, um, where, where, was your you first know, I, where was your first game at? It was in Montreal. I remember having to get up to Montreal. I punched on like four or five pitches, but I swung hard. And, <laughs> you know, we all, we all joked around. I think Mark DeRosa and West Helms and yeah. – Maybe O'Dallas Perez. All of us kind of went up together. Bruce Chen. Um, oh wow! 
yeah, we had a, an Andrew Jones is my year. I mean, he had been up for a couple of years. He kind of flew by all of us, but we all were that same kind of class. And, uh, you know, how that first, that first group of guys you're drafted with, those are the guys you spend the most amount of time with. And, uh, we're still very, DeRosa, Dero and I are still close, but, um, so just, just grind it out. I ended up playing for 16 years with parts of six years in, in the big leagues. I always had this dream of playing for 10 years. It never happened, but I, uh, the more I look at my career, I'm very thankful and grateful to, to play as long as I did and, and, um, and to meet the people that I did and, and still be involved in the game. So that took me, I, I would say around year, uh, 14, 15, uh, I was one of the older guys in AAA and, and I enjoyed working with some of the younger players. And that's when I started, uh, thinking I could make a difference with some of these younger guys. And, uh, the Boston Red Sox gave me my first opportunity when I was after year 16. I went right into coaching. I was a hitting, hitting instructor for a year, which I have a ton of respect for hitting coaches. And <laughs> JT, you've been around and, oh, yeah. and you know, the uh the drama that comes with hitting and uh mm-hmm. it physically it's the hardest hardest part of coaching and then I got to manage for two years which was amazing and I never thought I wanted to do and I, I really enjoyed it it's fun being in charge of a, a young group of men and also being in charge of a group of, of staff members um, so I learned a lot doing that and then I was uh when Tom Goodwin got the major league job I became the outfield base running uh, coordinator for, for the Red Sox, which was the position I wanted to get to. And, um, all of them have, uh, different experiences, but you learn, uh, different things in, in every, every spot. Um, and I jumped to the Braves to be their, uh, their field, their field coordinator for about four months, three months when uh, I got the phone call from the Dodgers. So amazing, amazing run to be, you know, this is year five with the Dodgers and, be in the playoffs for four straight years, two World Series, uh, where we came up short. But it was so fun to be part of something special and be with a group of men that that want to win. And I, but as uh, you know, those, these two losses in the World Series are going to help us win a World Series because uh, we're going to learn from it. We're going to be better. And uh, you know, it's 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 awesome to be able to impact uh, a Bellinger. And, and I hope I've had a chance to impact you in some kind of way. But be around Jock and even even Puig and the guys that I've been around, I I, uh, I really don't feel like it's work. I've, I've loved doing it. So just telling 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 my story, I like to just uh, go back to my mom and I, I I think of everything, but just making a difference in everyone's life. And uh, my mom lived such a short life. Um, I lost my mom when I was ten years old, and the amount of people that she she touched and made a difference in. And their lives was amazing, and so we get this opportunity every day to make a difference in our in our uh, in someone's life. Uh, so I think it's just if it's as, sim- as simple as you know writing something positive in someone's diary, or or uh, standing up to some uh, young punks to steal a bike, or uh, something as powerful as uh, being involved in the civil rights movement, uh, we get an opportunity to make a difference in everyone's life. Um, so it's. Uh, that's that's kind of my story, and um, I, I'm sure I left out a, a, a ton of things, but um, I think to understand what I've been through, you have to be able to understand the foundation that my mom laid for me and how, how special she was. Yeah, yeah. definitely. That's an in- incredible story, and, um, you know, 
offer. That message at the, at the end, you know, impacting someone's life on a daily basis, no matter how small or how big, I think is so important. And, uh, you know, you don't need a lot of stuff. You don't need to do the crazy, bold things. You can, it could be as small as a gesture, uh, uh, opening of the door mm-hmm. or a smile or, or a thank you. And you never know how that's going to impact someone's life. So, um, you know, the scale of, of changing the world is, is so vastly different and, and there's so many ways to impact people. I think that that's an important message. Mm-hmm. Even, even when I mean, we talk with, uh, Travis Smith, our strength guy, and it's like, you know, you don't have to do anything, but like, even if it's as, like, if it's as simple as just listening, you know, yeah. so many issues with our leaders in today's world is we, we don't hear the problems that are going on. So, you know, before we can, we can do anything to help, we have to be able to listen and hear, and then we can open up our, our, our hearts and our minds to help others. Um, hey, one, one thing I left out of the story I, ha- I have to put in, because I know my mom would have wanted it, but I remember at uh, um, agreeing with Farhan with the Dodgers to, to become the Dodgers' first base coach, and uh, 30 minutes after I got off the phone uh, with him, I got a phone call from University of Phoenix saying I'd passed my last class. So I got my college degree at, at 40 and got my first major league coaching job within like 30 minutes of each other, which is <laughs> I still another sign of my mom smiling down on me. And, uh, but it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. Justin, that's... Mm-hmm. You got to do that one I day. haven't finished my degree yet. I, I, went, I went to Fullerton for four years and I'm probably like five or six classes short. So, you know, what? like I remember being around, uh, what, what finally made me, I hadn't started. I was out of high school Mm -hmm. and I ran into a guy named Carlos Chantres, who you may have played, you probably missed him, but from Miami, we used to work out. And then Alex Gonzalez, the shortstop that was with the Cubs. There's two Alex Gonzalez, but, but, uh, I ran him at a golf tournament and he's, uh, I said, what are you up to these days? Because George, I'm, uh, I'm about, you know, another week I'm gonna get my degree. And here's a guy that was kind of my, my year, same year. And I'm like, God, this guy's been plucking away. If I had just done a little, just a little bit at a time, yep. I would be done with my degree. But, you know, it worked out perfect. I, you know, that uh, my second year in coaching when I was managing, I started it and, um, and just grinded through. There's a bunch of mornings when I was up at, you know, 4.35 in the morning doing a, doing a, a homework assignment before I, I got to the field to go work with these players. but. Uh, it was. I tell you what, you you really enjoy it a lot more being older because uh, you can. There's so many things you you're gonna learn that you're gonna be able to apply, um, and, and and you have an idea of what you want to do with your life as an old instead of being this young college student where you got a lot of other interests. Yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of respect for you doing that, and I think I saw your degrees in psychology, which I feel like probably plays such a major role in your career absolutely. now with the guys. Absolutely. I mean, we, we are all psychologists uh, to a certain degree, whether, uh, you know, it's, you know, learning to deal with my, my wife and, and, and keeping our relationship strong or, or trying to uh, get something through my kids' heads and, and dealing with the players and, and just even like nonverbal and, you know, verbal communication and, and like the faster, I, I tell you, one of the most difficult points of my job was at the major league level when, uh, when I lost the trust of a player, because I've always been this guy that I, I think the players uh, could connect with and trust. And you go into a, a new, um, a new environment and you you try so hard to get the players to trust you. And, and it's very hard to gain back. And uh, 
so you learn from those type of things to to uh, to be better and, and and find ways to connect with every player. You know, connecting with a Latin player might be different than connecting with an American player. Um, so there's so many ways, whether it's the way we carry ourselves or the way we listen to somebody or our actions with them to get through. And and then everybody's different. So um, you can't do the same thing with one person that you might do with another person. Yeah, I think that's such a great point that you make about connecting with players and gaining the trust because, you know, I, I really think it goes both ways. I think players need to take the responsibility to connect with coaches and earn the trust of coaches so uh, they can count on you and rely on you on any spot that they put them in. And I think that's something that separates, you know, the Dodgers from other teams that I've been on uh, is the relationships that, that players and staff and front office and trainers and strength coaches have it's that trust it's that um accountability and it's that respect uh on all levels for everyone around that kind of makes our clubhouse what it is and helps us you know do what we do on the field absolutely and and you learn different ways to do that. I, I, I like to think, uh, so I was Mookie, Mookie's first manager, which I've, I've probably said quite a few times because I'm, I'm proud of it. But, uh, um, you know, I had Mookie for five years and, you know, I, I managed him a little bit and then, uh, and then was there when he made the switch, um, to the outfield. But like, I felt I got to that point where I could, you know, <laughs> go tell Mookie to, to pee off the balcony. And, and it's going to help you get to the big leagues faster, you know, like, and, and he would do it, you know, like, because he just trusted you like to do things and listen and stuff like that. And so when I, you know, it felt like that trust happened overnight and then we come into the Dodgers, all new coaching staff. And you think you're in your mind, you think you're going to have that trust right away, but it doesn't work like that. And, and here it is a, a group of guys that have fought so hard to get to the major leagues, to get to this point in their career. And I've never, I wasn't with this group of guys in the minor league. So they don't know who I am. They could care less if you played in the major leagues or you didn't play in the major leagues. But our job is, you know, trying to, to help this player be the best version of themselves. And you felt like with Mookie, it, it happened overnight. But when you look back, that trust was gained over the course of four or five years. Um, and so it's not something, you know, it needs to happen organically. There's no real ways to speed it up other than doing, you know, team bonding uh, and going through some, uh, I about to say a bad word, going through some stuff together, um, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that, that creates that bond. And uh, that's what's so special about this, this group of guys we have. And uh, the Dodgers have done a good job of keeping these guys that really buy into the system. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think you hit it on the head. The, the main word is buying in and, Mm -hmm. uh, we have a lot of guys that do that. We have a lot of coaches that do it. And just want to ask you and, and have you talk a little bit about this coaching aspect in today's game, because it's a lot different than, than being a major league coach was even five years ago, 10 years ago, right? Like the coaching aspect. Now you, you already touched on the psychology part of it and the connecting, but the amount of work that we put on, put in or that you guys put in, with all the information, all the technology, all the scouting reports, all the data, our defensive positioning cards, it's almost like, you know, you're still in school because when we go on a plane or, or, or whatever, and I walk up to the front, you know, I see every single coach is on a computer 
putting together scouting reports or, or defensive positioning or looking at uh, pitchers' times or catchers' times or who backpicks. So, like, can you talk about the difference and how the games kind of evolved for a coach? I mean, we always talk about how the games evolved for players, but I think it's really taken a turn for coaching. Well, leading when anytime you're leading a group of players or around a group of players, you have to be able to connect with them. That's that's what that's in life, and that's what I learned in psychology. You have to find ways to communicate and connect with that player. Um, so for the Dodgers, we love the information, um, and it's our job to, to give the information to the players in a way that they can use it. Um, like Bellinger, for example, he's the type like I can't or not just me, we, we can't feed a ton of stuff to him because it, it takes away some of his natural instincts to go out there and think and, and be a player. And then you think of, you know, a Chase Utley or yourself, we can feed as much information to you guys as possible. And you guys can filter out the stuff that doesn't help you and, and, uh, and be able to process it. I mean, you can tell Chase something one time and it was in his mind forever. And he knew exactly how to use that. And, uh, even when the moments got really big, you know, it's a tie game in the ninth inning. I can remember uh, him beating out a ball, runs through first base. I meet him down the line. I go, Chase, this is a guy you could jump first pitch. He's, you know, he's picked over just to get as relaxed as possible. He's picked over four times all year. Um, and he's going to give you that, you know, slow leg kick to the end. He just got it. And, you know, wouldn't show any emotion out there and get nice and relaxed and steal a base. And now we got a runner at second with nobody out. And it's, uh, you know, and, you know, that same, that same bit of information I can give somebody. And then two pictures later, they'd be like, what'd you tell me? You know, they, they just never, heard, they never <laughs> yeah. heard it. Um, Chase is probably it, still and, thinking and then, about that right yeah, now. To be fair, Chase never showed any emotion ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, and then like the old school coaching where you just, uh, uh, you know, cussing out the player that just doesn't, I mean, it doesn't fly as much now. And we're around each other so much, um, you know, you just have to find a way to get through. You think of Pete Carroll. Uh, and I think with, with the, uh, similar to what the Dodgers do, we allow the players to be themselves. You know, uh, take some pride in playing for the Dodgers and putting on this uniform, but go out there and be yourself. Because the game's hard enough to be able to, to imply and, and put all these rules in, but just go out there and, and, and be, be yourself. Yeah, definitely. And then – you know, one other thing that I want to talk about with you is, you know, you've you've had to interview for different coaching positions. You know, you you were with the Red Sox in the minor leagues and then the field coordinator for the Braves for a couple months. And then you come over and interview for the Dodgers. And that's all one process. But then now you're starting to get phone calls and you're starting to get interviews to interview for a major league managing positions. Can you talk a little bit about the difference in that? Because I assume it's a way different interview process. Yeah, I mean, I, what it does tell me is I still have so much to learn about this game, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that challenge. But I was flattered. It was, it was, it was very. It was an interesting off season. But I remember uh, I got, uh, I guess, the Marlins and the Mets both called and asked permission to interview me for different roles. One was more third base. One was first base. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm talking with Andrew Friedman. That's the proper way. So there's no tampering. They'll call and ask the organization for permission and, and they either grant it or deny it. But the doctors never want to slow anyone, anyone down if they have a chance to, uh, to advance as a coach. And, 
even the the Marlins position was was for the first job, and uh, that's a parallel move. But Andrew would never hold me back uh, because he under he he knows how important uh, your family is. And I, I live about a mile and a half, two miles from that stadium, and uh, we just don't get those days back with our kids. Mm-hmm. So it was a, a difficult decision just because from a, a, a family standpoint, um, you know, being able to actually, it's very rare you get to coach in the city that you live in. And uh, that, uh, so I could have been driving my kids to school and then go to work and it, that, that just rarely happens. But I still feel there's a, a lot of unfinished business here. I absolutely love it where I'm at. The most, the most challenging part of it is uh, the distance, um, the distance of it. But um so I'm sorry, your, your question about, about managing. So that, that interview with the Pirates was, uh, I had my first conversation with somebody from the Pirates at 10 in the morning and we finished at 10 o'clock at night. Oh, wow. So it's a, it's a, it's a long, a long day. Um, a lot of coffee. They, when huh? you get, a lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah. When you, when you get to that point of the process, it's, they know who you are, uh, because you've been recommended by so many people, but it's about getting to know, to know you. Um, better and, and seeing who you are will you be the right fit for this this club um and it's not even as much about the number side of it uh but you know leading a team it's about connecting and trying to get them to perform and be ready to perform every day you know over the course of 162 plus spring training plus playoff um finding a way to put out fires uh deal with the media that's a big part. You're going to have help from a number standpoint. As you, even the Dodgers, like we'll meet every day before a game, talk about our best matchups, and and uh, which is the most sensible thing to do, um, to to get everyone's opinion on certain things before you go into the game. Because once the game happens, it starts moving fast. So um, it was it was an awesome uh, process. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, to be honest, uh, I, I think the timing was not perfect for me. Uh, as in, I think I have a lot to learn and I'm looking forward to that challenge and, um, and, uh, hopefully I'll get that opportunity another time. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned your boys, George and Jacob. So I wanted to ask you, I, I know they're obviously, you know, around the game a lot around you and they're kind of getting to that age where, you know, baseball's getting, I mean, I guess maybe kids now that are five and six are taking it very seriously now, (laughs) but just kind of what that's like for you as obviously, you know, you played in the majors, you're now a major league coach and kind of what's that look like for you and in coaching the boys? Do you like, what's your role with them? Well, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, daddy daycare when I go home full-time dad (laughs) and do whatever I can, whether it's help at the high school or help with my son's middle school. They're, they're, they're in the same school, different campus now, which at least makes life a lot easier than two separate schools. Um, but you think like growing, you know, when you enter having the, the, the thought process of having kids and like you're away from a long time, you think that it gets easier to leave them because you're so used to it. Every year you've done it. I got to leave them now. Time to go to work. But it, it's not like that at all. It gets more difficult every year. Uh, and especially this, this year is by far the hardest because we had the whole off season and then we had that extra three months and a, a, a three months in a pandemic where you're not really doing anything but spending time with your family. And, uh, it was, it was really cool. We're, I mean, we're doing some of these same exercises that my mom did where we would, uh, listen to a book or listen to a chapter of a book and then I'd have to 
you know, tell the boys to tell me something they, they, they took away from the, that chap and, and how it's going to make them better. And, and we work out every day together. We'd have every meal together. So this year was extremely difficult, but both boys are very athletic. Uh, I hope I don't annoy JT because in, in some of the guys, but I'm always sending them, um, I'm, a, I'm a proud father and sending them video of, uh, of my, my son's hitting and defense and some of the things they're doing. Yeah, it's like a highlight reel. It's not videos. <laughs> <laughs> watching Georgie play short is unbelievable. It's like watching freaking Omar Vizquel out there. <laughs> well, there's no even when you guys when you when you pop out the kids and then I, I don't know if I'm talking crazy stuff yet, Court, but uh, <laughs> you'll you'll be amazed. Just a little George. No, <laughs> the the opportunity to have them and for Doc to allow the kids to be around the game. They learn, like, they're all visual learners. So, like, George and Jacob watching you take ground balls and doing the knee drill. And, and uh, first, they'll, they'll get into some bad habits because they'll try and emulate everything you do. And, uh, but they, they, they can, like, George can imitate swings. He can imitate the way someone takes a ground ball. And they learn that. And when you're around a bunch of major leaguers, you're learning pretty much the proper way to do everything. Um, and so, it's, I mean, I can remember doing the show catch, playing catch out there you know, before a game in front of a bunch of fans and being nervous, you know, they don't want to throw a ball away. Mm-hmm. And like George, he doesn't, they don't even sense that right now. Uh, <laughs> and he can get out there and uh, he's got a better, I mean, they're both going to be much better players than I ever was. Yeah. He's used to taking ground balls in Dodger stadium every day. He goes back on a high school field. There's no pressure, right? And it's like, oh, well, there's just... no pressure, but then he complains because of that hops because he's used to being <laughs> on this, uh, this pristine field. And, uh, he needs uh, the grounds yeah, grow at his field. Oh, do we ever? <laughs> but uh, it's—I mean, having the bad hops, it can also make you a better player and appreciate it when you really appreciate it when you get on a, a good field. Yeah, definitely. And so I want to—I want to go backwards a little bit. And and you touched on this uh, earlier. You you had committed to Georgia to go play football uh, as one of the top running backs in the country, and then a few months later, you get drafted. Um, out of high school, and you make the decision to to go play baseball and not pursue football. I think one of the things that you know is pretty obvious in today's game is our our black baseball players, African American baseball players, and not just baseball players, coaches, staff in the game. Uh, you see the the number and the percentages going down. What? what do you think influenced you to make that choice to choose baseball over football when it was your time to decide? And why do you think, uh, things have kind of, I feel like it's gone the other direction now. You know, I think guys are choosing football and basketball over baseball more frequently in today's world. Why do you, do you have any input on that or insight or or ideas of what we can do to change that? I, I would, I would like to answer part of my, uh, me making the choice I did, I, I really didn't know what I was getting into, you know, you know, being off of that, that money out of, uh, out of high school. And my dad came from absolutely nothing. It was something that I almost couldn't turn down and mm-hmm. from where I was. And, um, but somehow in some way we have to find a better way to bring baseball to the inner city and to more black, uh, kids. Um, and I think MLB is trying to do it. And I think there's better ways to do it. But uh, with the Urban Youth Academies, they're opening up these academies in, in the inner city where, and, and putting these you know, facilities where kids can use. So 
it's a baseball is a very expensive sport and you don't have that instant gratification of, you know, you get drafted or you're going uh, to play baseball. You're in the minor leagues playing in front of, you know, 20 fans at times and, and uh, GCL as opposed to going to play. If I was going to Georgia, like you're playing in front of a hundred thousand fans day one. Um, so it's that, that instant gratification. Um, but I look back at I me, mean, I had eight surgeries in baseball. If I had, you know, two of those surgeries probably in football, it's, you know, football, it's, it's like on to the next crop and on to the next guy. If, if you miss any time, you're, you're getting pushed aside and here comes that next player. And then you're not the same player once you can't move around, um, as well. So, you know, I, I always wondered like the what if. And, and, and looking back, it's so hard for me to envision this because it, it felt like about two or three lifetimes ago. And, uh, like I can, I don't even catch a football great now and stuff, but it, it's funny to think of that. Um, but just finding ways. And that's something I'm very interested in and I'm, I'm going to put time into. And even in, uh, in Miami, there's such a, a good group of ex-professional baseball players and current professional baseball players. I was talking with Raul Abanez, but there's no reason that we can't go over to Gibson Park, where a park that Alonzo Morning helped put together once a week and do some type of clinic and have my boys be a part of that just because they need to see both sides of everything uh, to, to influence. So it's, it's more us giving our time. Uh, yeah. You know, it's not even about the money of it. It's about giving our time to educate kids uh, about baseball and, and playing the game. There's, there's just so many opportunities in baseball uh, that kids don't know about yet. No, definitely. It's funny that you mentioned – how expensive baseball is because on the surface, when you look at it, you're like, Hey, it shouldn't be that expensive, right? You get a pair of cleats, you get a glove, mm-hmm. you can go to play it against sports and get a glove for a decent price. And then, uh, obviously, you know, if you ever watched this, the movie, the Sandlot, you know, that baseballs are hard to come by, but that, that would probably be <laughs> the, the most expensive part on the surface. Right. But then you think about now and you talk about the Dodgers and where we're at with technology and on the forefront and outside the box thinking. And then you start to realize, you know, just how expensive the game is. And it's, you're seeing it creep into, you know, college and then creeping into high school. And now it's creeping into travel ball and, and little leagues. And uh, it's all about the game is turning into like a data driven game and, and you have to have like rap Soto and you have to have TrackMan and you have to have these sensors to, to, for your bat speed. And I think that is something that is really just turning kids off right now because one, they don't have enough money to access this stuff. And two, it's, I don't think it's fun for kids to have to swing for numbers. It, you know, it's fun for kids to go out and play and, I guess my question for you is like, has, have you ran into any of this stuff with, with George and Jacob in high school? Like what's the technology like for them? Or is it just like regular high school ball down there? I would say the high school side of it is, is very regular, uh, very regular, but you have to, and I completely know what you're talking about. Um, and we're fortunate because I work in baseball. So say I wanted, you know, a scout or a college person to see my boys, I can usually pick up a phone and have a scout come out or, or, you know, somebody from a college, but most kids aren't, you know, aren't like that. And they don't have that opportunity. Um, so it, it is very expensive and only getting more expensive. George just finished maybe his last tournament of the summer, uh, in Fort Myers at the Red Sox complex to go there and spend five days at, at a tournament and stay in a hotel and pay the, the entry fee and, 
and uh, you know, pay the coach. Like it's, it, it's, it's not feasible for a lot of kids. Um, so I, I know exactly in, in the, 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 the parenting of, of the game of baseball is probably as frustrating as anything <laughs> when, um, you know, if, when, you know, when parents are out there yelling at a kid, you know, catch the ball or don't strike out. I was like, usually if they're not catching a ball or striking out, it's probably more the parent's fault than the kids because there's not one kid up there trying to strike out and there's not one kid out there trying to drop a ball. So they probably haven't done enough with them at a young age. Um, so like the only thing I really ever get on my kids from, uh, is like an effort and an attitude thing. If they're, you know, not giving good effort. That's the one time that we have that little sit down talk and, and, uh, cause those are controllable. But, uh, when you go out there, you just want it to be fun to play the game. And then, and then on practice, that's when you work on all your technique stuff and, and, uh, and stuff to be a better player. Yeah. We actually had our friend who has a 13 year old son. You probably met him, George, uh, Luke, that I've had come out and throw out a couple first pitches. He bat boyed for us in spring training, Luke Lang. I, I think you've met yeah. him a couple of times. So he, mm-hmm. he's playing up in New York right now. Yeah, so he's 13 uh-huh. years old and he's a pitcher. And I guess he was struggling a little bit and he came off the field and one of the parents said, oh, you really had me nervous out there. You know, I'm glad you pulled that off. And Rich is just like, who says that to a 13-year-old boy that you had, like, what? You know, instead of like, oh, great job. You got out of it. Like the focus of the parent was like, oh, you made me nervous. I didn't know if you had the game uh, yeah. right there. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Almost even, uh, almost even cheering for the kid and I like, can, can make a kid more anxious and nervous, you know, just almost just sit back and enjoy the game and watch and, and be grateful. You have a chance to see your kid play and, uh, and then take the steps and uh, during practice to really work with them and, and, and be better. But like I said, there's not one kid out there trying to strike out or miss a ball. Um, so it's, uh, I, um, I, I kind of like to say I coach similar with my kids is the same way that I, I do, uh, with the major league guys. It's a very laid back personality and have to be there for them and, and try and help in any way that I can. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think one of the problems is, you know, like you said, it's expensive to play on these travel ball teams and go in these showcase tournaments and, you know, parents are spending money on hotels and meals and whatnot. So when they get out there, you know, they expect to win. And, you know, if another kid yeah. on the team makes an error or doesn't get the big hit, you know, the parents' mindset's probably like, oh, I'm spending all this money so this other kid can, like, not make my, my son a winner, mm-hmm. right? And and that's, mm-hmm. a pro- that's a problem. And, and so when Rich texts me or texts Court and I and was like, man, this is going on, it's crazy, like, been tough on Luke like what do we do like my first thought was like man if I was that coach I would say hey parents drop your kids off you're not allowed to stay at the game beat it like we're gonna have fun <laughs> yeah. we're gonna go out and play we're gonna win uh if you if if you're gonna be negative if you're gonna yell and scream like you gotta go sorry that's mm-hmm. not what we're here for we're here to we're here to learn we're here to play we're here to grow enjoy the game and I mean it's just it's sad to hear those stories, really. I mean, yeah. it, it's sad. It's such a such a young age, and we talk about growing the game and helping kids fall in love with the game and creating dreams for kids to want to continue. And then, you know, you just hear these stories about parents just stomping all over these dreams and making it not yeah. fun for kids, which I, I don't I don't personally like. But yeah, and there's very few coaches that have the. Uh... I guess the background to be able to do that because most, you know, young coaches need the money. So you can't really get on the parents too hard because 
you know, they need this income to, to, to keep kids there. And if you, you know, the, co- the parents are going to take their kids somewhere else quickly. Um, but you, you need to be able to lay that foundation of, uh, you know, allow the coach to coach and do the things and just let the, the parents in, enjoy it. Yeah. We kind of went on a weird tangent on youth baseball. Right. Here. <laughs> that wasn't on the script. I'm sure a lot of people can relate though. Yeah. It's something that's definitely been on our mind. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to back it up one more time before we start to wrap this up. And I, I want to bring this up cause I've talked to you about it and it has to do with your mom and, uh, her artwork. And I think you touched on it briefly earlier, but, um, she did a lot of really cool, uh, pieces and you actually sent me one, uh, a couple months ago and it says to love, we must survive to survive. We must fight and to fight. We must love. And, uh, I think the, one of the first things I asked you is, man, you should ask Doc if we can put those up in the clubhouse somewhere because it's such a great message and inspirational. Have you, have you gotten the chance to do that yet? I haven't. I, uh, I you know, I'm, I'm never trying to ruffle any feathers and uh, not not even ruffle. That's probably not the right word to use. But, um, I mean, those the, the, the paintings and our artwork, that's actually silk screening. They're, uh, they mean a lot to me. And, you know, they may not mean have the same meaning to other people, and uh, but it could be a great statement to have around, and with all the issues we have going on today, and and what she did to fight for equality, um, it would be awesome. I, I would, I mean, I can only imagine how honored I'd be just to walk by it every day and and uh, and look at it and 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 know the meaning behind it. I I bet I have. 40 pieces that have been pho- photographed and you know, I, I can look at them, but that, that one, I, the photo I sent up to you is, is my favorite one just because of the wording in it. And some of them are very, very deep. I mean, she, she, she got pretty involved in some of the, uh, you know, black power ones and the fist holding up. It was, uh, uh, it was really cool. And I, I've even had, we went to Atlanta a year ago and, and so many people followed my brother my sister and I, um, they didn't have a way of contacting me. They reached out to the Dodgers and wanted to meet me. I've, I guess I met him when I was very young, but I didn't remember him. Uh, but he had some artwork of my mom and he wanted to make sure that got it back to, to me and uh, my brother and sister. So I got to sit down with him for about two hours when we were in Atlanta and hear stories about my mom and, um, and how much she loved us and, and how involved she was. So the, 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 the paintings, the silk screening are, are one of those things that, um, that we'll cherish forever. And they have so much meaning and, and, uh, the way, even some of the, the pieces that she put together, I, I've seen like the original photo that she used to kind of make the photos and stuff. So it's, it's really cool. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's ruffling feathers, dude. I think it's something that, mm-hmm. you know, it just serves as a constant reminder every day that, uh, we need to continually work on being better and and Mm -hmm. we need to continually remember and work towards equality and and supporting every single person in our clubhouse it it can't be uh just a select Mm -hmm. few so uh you have my support if you want to ask doc (laughs) i'm all for it i there's a lot of i there's a lot of crap up in our in our clubhouse that you know that would serve a better purpose (laughs) i uh I think of, you know, what makes me, when you talk about these pictures and, and understanding, I think of Chris Woodward a lot. And I was, it was probably my closest, uh, 
friend on the team before he left to get the manager job in Texas. And we, we've had some long conversations. We share a lot of similar views, but because one thing I, I really try and do all is, is put myself in everyone's shoes. So when I see this, this homeless guy walking or this guy that's down and out and struggling, like try and envision being that guy and, and, and to make yourself, you know, share more empathy and, 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 and understand, I mean, this could have been any of us, you know, and, and trying to, like, if you look at the world like that, I think it'll be a better place. And, um, uh, but I don't know, I just have a huge regards for him and, um, and I learned a lot of things from him and we, we still talk all the time. Yeah. I love Woody. He's, he's the man. I'm, I'm happy we get yeah. to play him this year and get to go see him. So, uh, mm-hmm. six feet away. Si- well, we'll be six feet away. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we had so much stuff on the, that we wanted to get to and we're already reaching almost an hour now. So I guess, th- well, I want to get to this and, and bring some of this stuff up. So maybe try something a little different. We'll just bring it up briefly and have you comment quickly on some of these items, some of these topics like mm-hmm. you cool with that. Oh, cool. absolutely. All right. So fun facts about George Lombard, <laughs> you signed your first uh-huh. professional contract on a cruise ship, <laughs> on a cruise ship in Hawaii, right? Is this via fax? Yeah. How do you get a contract on a cruise ship in Hawaii? All right, so it wasn't a cruise ship. We were on a, it was a trip that I obviously could not afford, but um, it was like an outward bound thing. There may have been 12 or 14 students from my class. I never got to do spring break, and so many students thought it would be so cool. But I never got to do spring break because of baseball. Yeah. And so many students thought it would be cool if, uh, if I could go, and they kind of raised some money for me to jump on this trip where we spent, I don't know, if it was 10 days or mm-hmm. in Hawaii, and that was over the June draft. So I can, I, I actually remember the counselor on the trip, and I was like, listen, I need to be at a payphone at this time. So, so I'm, I was swimming in the water and he calls me in. I'm, I'm, I mean, nobody uses payphones now, but I'm on a payphone on the beach talking over, you know, <laughs> where the Braves think that I would go. And, and, um, and then like a, a day later was a draft and I get drafted. So I guess it's a push fact, half part fact and part addition. That's wild. That is show right there. Yeah. How have time, <laughs> the times have changed, right? Yeah. I love yeah, that. So I, yeah. I flew home and, you know, signed the contract and, uh, after the trip and then I headed to West Palm and, and continue to hit a buck 40 that year. <laughs> love that. And then our next one, you're kind of a little legend in China, I guess. Yeah, that was uh, when you got to dig. When you got to when you got to dig uh, to find these kind of highlights. But I got to go. Um, that was actually with the Dodgers when we um, we that was the year of the Olympics. we were in China and we went. I was I got to play for Joe Torre, which was I loved and just you know a spring training. But I hit a home run there, and I guess that game was filmed by like 1.5 billion people or something crazy. Yeah. Um, it was really, really cool to, to travel, and, and, and families were allowed to go. It was actually a split squad, so they uh, they kept some guys that they didn't feel needed to make that, you know, to fly that far to play two games, and uh, a group of, I remember Andrew Jones was on the trip, uh, Suhu was there, um, you know, Joe Jarek and the McCourts were there, so it was, it was a really cool experience, and we had had, uh, I think we just had our second kid, 
so it was the first time Judy got to leave the boys and, and we got to spend some time together on the trip, which was cool. I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. So what what you're we were trying to get at is you're the first major league baseball player to ever hit a home run in China. Yeah, because it was the first time, first time major league baseball ever gone. To you're still, you're still the first one, dude. They can't, yeah. they can't ever take it away. They can't. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was they can't take it away from me. That's on the back of your baseball card forever. So. Yes. Yeah. that's I think, one of my. Fa- I think that's sorry, where I, I cool, think that's where uh, court found that on the back of your baseball card. I look everywhere for my uh, <laughs> when I create. Uh, nothing's off limits. I uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I have a really cool photo with my wife and Joe Torre on the Great Wall of China, which is uh, it's cool that he signed to me, which is hanging proudly at home. Oh wow, that is kind of cool. Um, okay, last one we'll hit you with. So everyone knows the famous rookie dress up day last year. You guys had. I think it was like a team. If you were on the flight, you were dressed up. So it was players, coaches, everyone. And you, everyone kind of had their little groups. We had the baby sharks and the football players. And you, George, you were Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have a Eeyore? Any, like, what was the, did you just have it lying around? There's there's nothing behind it (laughs) other than, uh, I thought it was very out of character and I thought it'd be funny to see uh, me in a Winnie the Pooh thing. And I was, I was the only thing I was kind of searching for is something that would be somewhat comfortable. And uh, I was actually getting frustrated. I think my wife and I got in an argument over what to be. And, and I was like, screw it here. I'm tired of waiting. And my wife, she was going to wait till last minute where knowing my wife and I would have probably got the costume like the day after the trip. So I said, I, I just clicked and ordered it. And uh, so that, that's how the, that's the Winnie the Pooh story. Okay. <laughs> I thought there was something more to it, but no, there's not. There's uh, a little disappointing. <laughs> okay, last one, the most serious of all of them. Has anyone ever brought up that you are basically the Jetsons, being George and Judy? Uh, yeah, I have heard that one. I, I got more. I got more curious. I got more curious George stuff uh, at I'm a younger age. Than the, yeah, yeah, like, uh, yeah, but yeah, I do the the death. That's funny because on that dress-up day, uh, we had a stuffed animal, Curious George, and put Friedman's name on the back of it. Do you remember that? (laughs) (laughs) Kingston was the the guy in the yellow hat, and then he carried around the little stuffed animal. Andrew wasn't on the flight, so we put Friedman on the back of it, the the little guy. (laughs) Did Andrew miss the flight because he didn't want to dress up? I think he he ducked the flight because he didn't want to mess. He didn't want to dress up. Andrew, uh, Doc kind of ducked that one too. And so did Pryor. And so did Pryor. They both they both owe us a dress up. All three of those guys owe us a dress up on this. That could have been your Eeyore and your Piglet. Yeah, you could have had the whole squad. Christopher Robin and everyone. (laughs) We will be flying again this year, so we definitely have time to uh, to mix that in. For sure. And then uh, just to wrap this whole thing up, uh, you you had mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, your first managing job, you you had Mookie Betts, and obviously now he's a Dodger, and it's although it's abbreviated season, uh, I think there's so much buzz around the city on getting to see him in a Dodger uniform, and, you know, we hope that maybe you can give us some insight on what Dodger fans can expect to see out of number 50 uh, out in right field this year. I mean, although you've only been around him a, a couple months here, I, I think just in that short period of time, you could give a very similar description to whatever I would say. But you're going to get someone that's unbelievably passionate about playing baseball, 
uh, high baseball IQ, very athletic, and and wants to win and be a part of something special. But you've you've been around just this short time, and you see how the working is contagious. And we're out there having the time of our lives, doing ground balls on the on the infield and the outfield, and and making it fun. And before you know it, we got other players coming out to do it. And, uh, and that's what that makes the, the game so special is, is, is bringing this bond with a group of guys that we're, we spend so much time together and, uh, and finding ways to compete and, and, and be better every day. Yeah, I'll, de- I'll echo that. He definitely has a unique knack for making work fun. He is constantly trying to find th- ways to make things more competitive and, you know, he's out there every day doing extra work, taking ground balls, doing his throwing. And, man, it's just been – it's been refreshing, you know, to see a player oh, yeah. of that caliber, uh, you know, put in as much work as he has and not take it for granted and, and want to be, you know, that that word that I think is underutilized in baseball. He's curious. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants to be – he wants to get more information and get better every single day. So yeah. I'm well, excited. It's very – I'm sorry. It, it's very rare to find the really good players that that do those type of things and that help. You know, like to make other players better is is, is extremely important. And for him to pull over a DJ Peters and the stuff that you did with DJ Peters this winter, like it, it's it stands out. And it's so obvious just the time that you spent with him and and how much better he's gotten. And, and Court, not to take anything away from JT, but a lot of the things that Mookie does is similar to what JT has always said. And, and sometimes just hearing it from a different voice, uh, you know, we, we joke around about making a competition of, you know, uh, hey, if we're facing a sinker ball pitcher, let's get the ball in the air. All right. You know, whoever can, can do this can win that. And uh, just making it fun and finding ways to, to make the competition a game. Love that. Well, George, thank you so much for your time, your insight, and sharing your journey with us and also your mom's story. I love how you channel so much of her spirit in your life as a coach and a parent. And I'm sure all these stories uh, draw you so much closer to her. And I just hope she'll continue to inspire others to fight for what is right. And uh, I absolutely love the exercises you mentioned and keeping it positive and, you know, hopefully helping change people's mindsets to be better to one another. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm you know, honored to be on here. Very humble. And, uh, and, uh, and um, I hope somebody can take away some good things about it. So I'll be off to the field now to go get ready for our workout. Absolutely. Thanks for having, or thanks for, okay. having, thanks for coming on <laughs> here, right. Georgie, and I'll, I'll see you up at the field. Okay. Take care. That was so great of him to come on and share some insight about his story and also a little bit about what the season's going to look like. Yeah, that's great. You know, it's, it's cool to know that like he's in the learning process and finding more and more information out about his mom's story, which is truly remarkable. And you know, he's taking the time to share, uh, not just with us, but with a lot of people around the country. So, um, kudos to George. Appreciate him coming on here, giving us the time and then, you know, giving us a little bit of insight on what it's like to be a major league coach and, and everything that he goes through. So, um, definitely a different perspective. You don't hear a lot of it from, you know, a coach's perspective. You usually get, you know, a lot of player stuff and, and you, you kind of take coaches for granted and everything that they go through and, and, you know, dealing with all the different personalities and people and uh so I, I enjoyed him coming on and, and giving us that little 
inside of, of through the coach's eyes. Yeah. It's no longer show up and play. There's so much work that goes into it. And, you know, I've been, um, lucky enough to be on flights with you and we're sitting next to coach Pryor, and he's <laughs> grinding away <laughs> on all the reports and everything preparing for the game. So they really don't have a whole lot of downtime away, even from away from the field. And so it's good to hear all the work that goes into it and you know, how much pride he takes in it and, you know, finishing his degree and trying to continue to learn and see how he can reach guys better. So that was cool to get his perspective on all of that. Absolutely. And they are, they're on their computers all the time. Like when they're not on the field, they're sitting on a computer. Yeah. And, I'm and snoozing away on the flight and, yeah. and I'll wake up and like peep one eye over and he's over there on the computer, like doing all the reports and everything. I'm like, Oh man, I just took a two hour nap and this guy was still grinding away and everything. So I, I thought you were going to dig into the psychology major. Cause that's like right up your alley. That's, that's yeah. Well, we'll that's have, your field. I mean, you know? there's always a window, a door, whatever method of people coming back on. So we save a little bit, I think. I wonder if he wanted to be Dr. Phil too, just like you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that. You never know. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this week of holding court. Thanks again to coach George Lombard for coming on and sharing so much with us. And as always, we ask that you give us a nice five-star rating. Only five stars. Don't give four. If you give four, just like DM court or My something. My dad joke every week now is they don't accept anything lower. There's a glitch. So you have to only <laughs> click five stars and give us a review. But thanks for listening as always. And we will talk to you next week. See you guys. Bye. Bye.